Thank you for joining us again for the sixth episode of COVID Conversations, a special presentation of OCPOD, the official podcast of the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine. These recordings began in December 2020 with the hope of discussing ongoing issues related to COVID-19 and SARS-CoV-2. We hope you enjoy. This is COVID Conversations. I am Erin Ransford, and I'm here with Dr. Ismail Nabil. Dr. Nabil is the Deputy Medical Director of Employee Health, Safety, and Wellness for the Mount Sinai Health System and an Associate Professor in the Department of Environmental Medicine and Public Health at the Icon School of Medicine. He is a Fellow of the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine and is the current Vice Chair of ACOM's Council on Scientific Affairs. In this series of recordings, we explore a variety of topics surrounding the SARS-CoV-2 virus and the COVID-19 disease. Today is January 21st, 2021. This episode discusses benefits and challenges of contact tracing programs and the impact of vaccine on case investigations and contact tracing efforts. Hello, Dr. Nabil. Hello, Aaron. Good to uh, touch base again. Today's topic is closer to heart. I do this every day. Um, We're talking about case investigations and contact tracing. What do you think you know about the subject? When somebody receives a positive test result for COVID that's supposed to be logged with your your county or your state health department, uh, a trained contact tracer will contact that individual, ask them about their symptoms, have them report the names, and then contact those people in a discreet way to let them know that they were potentially exposed to someone with a positive test result. In some cases, people that do have a positive test result are asked to complete a survey every day, either via email or via text to enter their symptoms and what their temperature is. And also if they need any help with resources, there are a fairly structured system in place when they're not completely overwhelmed by cases. Yeah, and and well represented the actual way contact tracing or case investigation works. The program itself of case investigation or contact tracing to control the infectious disease is not unique. It's been in in practice for many decades. What's unique about the pandemic is uh, it's the shared number and volume of cases that we're seeing. In, In order to make sure that we address the transmission, such an important tool that all of us have to trace where the infection is originating and where the case count is rising and try to intervene before it spreads much more ubiquitously across the communities. So tracing itself will help curb or minimize infections that we're seeing in the communities. The focus of today's discussion is the future and what we think the contract tracing might be in, in years to come. When we started contact tracing, there was a significant increase in case count over the course of many months. And now we are to the point that some states have seen significant increase in numbers of cases where contact tracing might not be effective or even possible. And that's the challenge that all of us face when we look at this disease and try to control it. One of the things that has occurred over a course of time is better understanding of the disease and its transmission over a course of many months. We also realize that masking, social distancing helps in restricting the spread of infection. So contact tracing helped really well if we start to define high-risk exposure, where we see a person who's not wearing a mask 
or being close to one another, we do see a high risk of transmission in those cases. So proper masking, social distancing, avoiding crowds definitely help in stopping the transmission. But very recently, with the approval of vaccines against COVID-19 disease, the question is, how does that impact the contract tracing efforts? Or do you think that the process do change just because one is vaccinated? I think at least for a while, even people that receive a vaccine should continue to wear their mask and distance. Because I'm I'm sure there's some time between first and second dose where they could still um, be at risk of contracting COVID-19 or even spreading it. And it would also help with general compliance to set the example of wearing your mask in public and continuing to wash your hands and socially distancing. I'm hoping eventually, once we get to that point of having 80 or so percent of everybody vaccinated, that we can maybe stop some of those other mitigation efforts. It's true. In cases where we have vaccinated the individual, the one thing that is still unclear and we don't know and further research and understanding will help determine that better one thing that we don't know for sure is after taking vaccine do we also reduce the transmission of virus from one person to another we also don't know yet that the person who has received vaccine might also be an asymptomatic carrier. That means they don't have symptoms yet. They continue to have viruses in their nose and they can transmit that virus to other people. So the transmission of virus, and that's a question of, of stopping that transmission, it's very essential for us to understand that post-vaccination, post getting vaccines will help minimize this transmission. And that's a fundamental question in contact tracing. The contact tracing program will change or cease to exist if we demonstrate that there is no significant transmission of virus post-vaccination. But that's a question that's still outstanding. And we won't be able to answer that until we have folks getting vaccinated over a period of time. Uh, That's absolutely true. So in order to get a critical mass, in order to get millions of people vaccinated, that might help us understand this question more clearly. Getting a substantial number of people vaccinated, we might also minimize the risk of transmission. That's the case in flu vaccination. We do see a decline in flu transmission when we vaccinate a substantial number of people. We also see that if an institution institute a flu vaccination campaign and more and more people are vaccinated, we reduce that risk of transmission of flu from one person to another. And in my setting, from a worker or employee to a patient population. I'm hopeful. I hope that we can see a similar efficacy or effects of the vaccine in reducing the transmission risk. But again, this question is outstanding. There's another thing that I do want to highlight. There are two doses of vaccine. If you have taken the Pfizer shot, the second dose is after 21 days. And if you have taken Moderna, Moderna requires the second shot to be taken in 28 days. So in between these shots, a number of individuals can get tested positive for COVID, for SARS-CoV-2 virus, or can manifest COVID-like symptoms as well post-vaccination. As healthcare providers, as occupational medicine providers, we are well aware that there has been some effects of vaccine. For example, you might have 
localized injection site tenderness. Sometimes there's other side effects associated with vaccination. Just like that, COVID vaccines might also produce some systemic symptoms, which might not be too discernible or we cannot tease it out. Either it's a vaccine-related symptom or it's related to disease. And in, in most cases, we start to test them if the symptoms are not resolving. And in instances, we have found that between the first and second shot, more people are susceptible to get infections. Do you think that's because they have a false sense of security because they received their first dose and so they're less stringent with their mitigation efforts? All of the above. I I think getting vaccinated, some people do feel that getting the shot or getting first shot, they might be protected against the disease and they might engage in a behavior that we deem high risk for virus acquisition. And in in cases where we might vaccinate individuals in congregate settings or warehouse settings or in an industry, we need to be fairly clear not to put down our guard to prevent the transmission of infections in that interval. We have to have a very stringent policy of continuing to adhere with the recommendations that we have made proper masking, social distancing, avoiding in-person contact, even after first dose of the vaccine, so we can minimize the risk of transmission. One of the reasons why I'm highlighting this here is that it has an impact on both the contact tracing efforts that we're doing, and also it highlights different type of vaccine that now we're using for COVID-19. We use a novel technology or different technology called messenger RNA, and we have discussed that in the past. And it does take time for body to get primed and produce antibodies against the disease. That time interval is somewhere around 12 or 14 days post first dose. So even once you get vaccinated for for next two weeks almost, body more or less does not respond or create antibodies to protect you. And, and that's a very significant observation that I want to highlight. And, and that might be a susceptible period for you, even post-vaccination, you might end up with a disease. So are you recommending that after the first shot that people stay home and quarantine? No, they should continue to uh, make sure that they do proper masking social distancing, and in cases where there is a high-risk exposure, where you come in direct contact with somebody who's tested positive, and interaction that you have with that person is without a mask and more than 15 minutes and closer to six feet, that constitute a high-risk exposure. And Regardless of your vaccination status, one should get oneself quarantined and avoid interaction with other people. So again, the, the definition that how we define high-risk exposure in contact tracing continues to stay the same post-vaccination, at least for first dose. So what would change after a second dose? Uh, good question. So we, we don't have good understanding of what happens when you vaccinate hundreds and millions of people. At least looking at phase three trials, we saw that they only counted for people who were symptomatic. Uh, They didn't account for people who might have the virus, but they are asymptomatic. 
We know for a fact, at least from the phase three trials of vaccination, that people are basically 90% protective after the vaccine. But comparing the two groups, one, the placebo group where there was no vaccine given and the other group where the vaccine was given, we realized that people who got vaccines has less symptoms, symptoms were less intense, but they were also cases that tested positive in the vaccine group. That's why it's not 100% effective. That's why it was considered 90, 95% effective. So there's always a 5% they have susceptibility to the virus. With the post-marketing information after the phase three trial, when we look at the general population, we might be able to have a much better understanding of how protective the shot is against the disease. So the bottom line again is, regardless of vaccination status, proper masking, social distancing, the, the core principles of avoiding high-risk exposure uh, continues to be in play. We need to really prioritize case investigations to minimize the transmission as quickly as possible. Um, so particularly in occupational health settings, what do you think are the areas that requires prioritization for contact tracing? I would think it would be any type of environment where there's a lot of people in close proximity, either in a, in a work environment like a factory or a setting like a nursing home, places where there's the, uh, the highest concentration of people. Right. So high-density workplaces is really important. Occupational medicine physicians who are taking care of industries where there's high density of people working at a time, such as warehouse, correctional facilities, car manufacturing plants, meatpacking industries. Those are, those are in areas where there's potential extensive and very rapid transmission that occurs. Prioritizing that is really, really important to minimize the risk. I, I think we minimize the risk not only to the industry or a factory in this case, uh, or a localized work area, but it also really very well uh, seal off the transmission across communities. Um, so as occupational health physicians, I think we, we are in a very interesting area where we can reduce the transmission in communities, populations, zip codes, and if we can focus and concentrate in minimizing the transmission risk in workplaces. Um, hospitals are a really good example. Um, we have dual obligation of not only protecting patients' health, but also protecting workers' health. And minimizing transmissions among workers really protect our patients as well and vice versa. So it's a win-win on both sides. Absolutely. And one other thing that we talked a little bit about is identifying clusters early on and then going a, a little bit deeper into understanding the sequencing of the virus from these clusters if you can identify a particular variant strain of virus or mutant strain of virus in a work setting, that has huge implications in terms of understanding of the spread of the virus and also understanding if we have a predominant change in the viruses that's been circulating. So again, 
contact tracing really help us to be one step ahead of the game to defeat this virus uh, in spreading. Uh, as we have seen in Britain and other countries where there is a variant strain that transmit pretty easy, um, we, not all of us have the capabilities of doing genomic sequence for the virus. But if we can identify through contact tracing this rapidly growing cluster situation, I think we can look back and say that that might be uh, some change in the virus that need to be assessed and addressed. Contact tracing give us that ability to look into transmissions in a very different way. And there's a lot of tools available to uh, do effective contact tracing. And Aaron, I think that even post-vaccination, the amount of work that goes into case investigation and contact tracing will continue at, at a much higher level uh, as we continue to defeat this pandemic. Yes, indeed. Dr. Nabil, thank you very much once again for sharing your insight and your expertise. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another edition of COVID Conversations. 